Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. For example, with Notion, which is kind of a very hybridized, very generic word processing tool where you can build pages of information and relate them in myriad ways, one of the opinions is like, we're not going to tell you what this is for. Right. It's like, well, that's the trade-off. Like, what opinion do you prefer? The opinion that this is a very specialized thing and you need to do it our way. Right. Or the opinion that that do it your way, but you're going to have to do more work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined, as ever, by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hi, everyone. Hello. On today's episode, we're going to talk about how software shapes the way we work. But before we get into all that and download on that, check in round. Check in round. Let's do it. Check in round. All right. I'm just back from vacation, so I'm like, what is a check in round? I feel like I should know. (laughs) Okay. So our check in round question for today is what is a quote unquote adult rule that you fundamentally disagree with? That's an easy one for me. Uh, It is the thank you note. Really? That is not what I thought you were going to say. Interesting. Yeah. Tell me. No, I, I just, the idea that it's not only expected, but demanded in polite society that when someone gives you a gift, you send them a thank you note describing how wonderful it is, to me just feels so fake and so required and so unnecessary. Like when I give someone a gift, I'm not, I don't need a thing in return. I want them to enjoy the gift. Maybe they'll tell me about it when they see me, but I just, I feel like that whole theater of thanks, like after a wedding or something, like that theater of note giving, oh, that just irks me to no end. That is hilarious. I love getting thank you notes. (laughs) Well, guess what? (laughs) That's wild. Okay. Um, For me, just any rule about the time of day that you're supposed to do something. Mm. Like the idea that like you're supposed to eat certain things at certain times of day or sleep and be awake at certain times. I'm just like, I want to do it at the time that I feel like doing it, which might mean like pancakes at midnight or it might be naps at two. Or yes. it might. I just like, I just, I don't like arbitrary rules about the order that things are supposed to go in during the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't bind you. Don't hold you down. Yeah, I don't want that. That's great. That's a good question. I like that one. So today's topic is software, apps, tools, etc., and the role that they play in helping us or hurting us when we're working. Uh, so this one was your idea. So let's just start with um, why you wanted to talk about this. Like why this topic? Why this moment? Yeah, why this, why now? I think um, it's always been on my mind, and obviously it's a big part of the Ready's kind of philosophical stance that 
the tools we use should enable the kinds of work that we want to do the way we want to do it. But now with the world being so deeply remote, it feels way more important. Mm-hmm. It feels like if you have the wrong tool stack, you are you are like woefully inadequate. And I've had experiences very recently where I'm playing with new tools with groups that are not used to them or that literally can't use them at all. I like can't get into things that I need to use with them. And I'm just feeling like, oh, we're we're just leaving so much on the table that I can't bear it any longer. And so yeah. I figure I'll put this podcast out. Everyone will get religion and I won't have to deal with that anymore. Right. Probably. That's probably how it'll go. Everyone <laughs> will just listen to this and then they'll completely shift their tool stack. And then yeah. our lives will be so easy from this day that's, forward. I can't. That's how I'm thinking about Wait, it. Wait, that sounds perfect. So one of the things that we notice is that people think tooling doesn't matter as much as it like a, a word processor is a word processor, right? And I'm just curious, based on your work that you've been doing over the past few years, why do you think that is? And what's really going on there? Why is it? Why is a tool just a tool to most people? Yeah, I think it's like any other kind of change. One thing is that we like things we're familiar with, and we're not necessarily particularly critical about things that have already become routine. So it's I've had the experience many times of showing someone, for example, Google Docs, and they're like, is this really better than Microsoft Word? Or you show them Slack, and they're like, is this really better than email? It is, and you'll know that if you use it, but the immediate reaction is, this feels close enough to the thing I already know and I'm already comfortable with, so let's just not. And then the other thing yeah. is, I think people, and I've been guilty of this myself, I think we underestimate how bossy tools actually are. <laughs> I, I think we believe that we have more like power over tools than we actually do. And right. I think many of us and many of our colleagues and clients and people in the world are not really plugged in to just how much the tools that we spend our time in tell us what to do and we listen to them. And Mm -hmm. we actually don't have the like agency and efficacy that we think we do in overcoming the opinion that the tool has. Yes, yes. And yeah, this is definitely what I wanted to talk about, which was this notion of opinionated software which has been out there for a while, but is not talked about nearly enough, in my opinion. And it's not just software, by the way, like all tools have opinions. Yeah. And what what we mean by that, and what the people that coined that mean by that is beliefs about the way things should be done that are baked into the process, right? So like, if you look at a hammer, it has two ends, well, three, really one that's supposed to be held, and the other one is for whacking stuff or pulling stuff out. And so that there's there's a limit to what you can do with a hammer as a result, even though yeah. there are a million things you could do with a piece of metal if you if you shaped it differently. And so the same thing is true of our tools. And it is interesting to me that unlike a hammer that everybody can see and hold in their hand, I think sometimes the opinions of software are baked in a few layers deep. Mm. Uh, they're often baked in at the administration level when a tool is set up. And I don't think that people parse them as carefully as they could or should. So it's just like, do I type words in it? Then it's the same as anything else I type words into. And nobody's thinking like, what's the default about sharing and transparency and privacy with this tool? What does it assume? What does it allow? And that is huge. Like that is going to dictate the entire information sharing economy of your document tool. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's just, yeah, well, it has words in it. So can I make stuff bold? Yeah, then I'm good. Right. Um, Which is the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And I I do feel like with any kind of expertise, 
the more you get into something, the more you see the fine grain differences, right? I can't really tell you the difference between two souffles, but a chef can. Sure. And, and that is, I think, what's going on here. And what's interesting is we all used to use software and applications like an hour a day, and then it was two hours a day, and then it was three hours a day. And I don't know that the memo ever went out where it was like, now your job is to be an expert on tools. Mm-hmm. I think it just was this slow boiling the frog phenomenon where now we all use software 12 hours a day, right. but very few of us are are really curious and deeply invested in what we use and why we use it. Yeah. Yeah. And asking the really specific questions about what is this tool trying to make me do and do I want to do it? Yeah. Do I believe what it believes? Yeah. It's like if I'm going to defend traditional email, do I believe in the siloing of information and do I prefer for that kind of static, long thread kind of documentation of things or do I believe in something that is more asynchronous, more informal, more inclusive, more transparent? Like we don't ask those kinds of questions to your point. It's like, I want you to have a piece of information. Isn't it the same thing if I Slack and email you? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not yeah, the same, totally. actually. And it is interesting to watch people that care about this have those debates, right? Like the the folks at Basecamp just released hey.com, which mm-hmm. is their new email service. And and on the one hand, I'm like, uh, I'm such an you know ardent, like, screw email guy that my first reaction is like, uh, I'm not sure. But then as you parse it more carefully, you can see, like, what are their opinions about what email is supposed to do and what it's not supposed to do? What is the role that Basecamp and collaborative boards and messaging plays in that ecosystem? And there is there is a role for, like, I met someone at a party and I need to message them and sure. get going. And, like, Slack's not going to do that for you, at least not right now. Like, it doesn't do that at all. And so having a good tool where it's like, this is for people outside of my working space to get in touch with me in a really clean and controlled way. That's cool, actually. And I'm into that. But saying this is the tool by which we're going to manage all internal communications at Cisco. I'm like, oh, back up. Transparency, connection, the data storage, all that stuff is missing. Um, So yeah, I agree with you completely. There's a nuance there. And it's funny how so often our reactions to either a new tool like you're talking about or just to a new feature in something that we're already using is like, look, no, thank you. I don't need that. I already have that. Or I don't understand why something needs to change when it's already working. And then when you really start to think in a layered way about what the use cases are and also what that tool is asking of you or what it's providing you, it it gets really interesting. And like the example that I always think of in my own mind is, when Instagram introduced stories and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is so stupid. I don't <laughs> want to be on Snap. That's why I'm not. This is pointless. And then pretty quickly I was like, there's a lot more dynamic content and there's a <laughs> lot of stuff that I would post, but I don't actually want it to be on my wall forever. Right. And all of a sudden I was going to stories first. Yeah. And so I think often our immediate reaction to a thing is what I have works fine and I don't really get the point of that. And then pretty soon you're like, oh, this is actually pretty sticky, and now I'm in it. Yeah, which in some ways is why I'm so loose about tools. Like I, I Loose on tools. <laughs> Don't know what I, that means. <laughs> I, you know, I get around. I, um, I like to play with stuff precisely for that reason, because I don't understand it, and I don't feel like I can understand it unless I noodle with it. And that is that has just ended up paying dividends for me. In, in my career where I if you're the one who's playing with the newness more regularly, then you're going to end up tripping over value eventually. And when you trip over it, you can 
take advantage and you yeah. can be there first and you can share it with others and be someone that they trust and you, you can master those things as they come around. And also you can, you know, jump before boats sink, right? Because right. there was a moment, I mean, not that long ago when your choices were Google Docs or static Word doc. Right. Right. And so it's like, this is not in the cloud. This is going to be shared among colleagues where it says version 7.6.5 forward slash final underscore final hyphen final final v6. And that was just like the way files were shared. And then the the jump to, to Google Docs was really hard, right? It was non-enterprise. It was, it was new. It was fresh. And so there was like this moment where if you jumped, then you got the immediate advantage of collaborative editing, of real-time persistent data where you're basically like all in the same document at the same time. There's no need to hand off. You can see what other people are doing. Like it's a massive lift. Um, and then of course people catch up. So now there's like Office 365 and you can do similar things in Word now. You know, you can argue about the elegance, but similar things in Word now. And so now it's like, well, what's the new party? What's the next, what's the next thing beyond that? Yeah. And I actually wanted to ask you about this because I feel like you're much deeper in the tooling arena than I am. And frankly, than most people are on earth, I think. (laughs) And one question I have that I think would actually be valuable to me and maybe to our listeners is like, if you're not someone who reads exhaustively, but you suspect that there is a tooling solution to a problem that you have, how do you go about finding things to try? Because I Mm. feel like whether we're talking about like meeting tools or like podcasting platforms or like, like, I just feel like you're a person who's like, here's this new thing. And I've like never even heard of it. Like I've never even seen it in a mentioned in an article. And you're like, this is the thing that we should try. Like, how do you do that? If you're not someone who is really doing that as a significant part of their consumption of information? Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's a great question. So there are two things I think that are effective, and there's probably others. But for me, this is this is what works. One is follow people that make tools on Twitter. Mm. So or wherever you like to follow people, because if you follow people that make tools for a living, they are sweating, they are talking to they are bumping elbows with people making new tools. Um, So and it's funny, most people don't realize how much the tooling they're playing with is second or third generation. So Mm. when you see a new tool coming out and you're like, oh, this is new. I wonder what entrepreneur cooked this up. There is a one in two chance it was someone that made another tool that you've heard of. Yeah. Right. Like people that are good at this are good at this. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of that. So so that just means like if you follow 10 or 20 or 30 people who work in and around productivity tools or SaaS or what have you on Twitter, you will hear about the newness on a regular basis. Um, and they'll be like right now in the last maybe two months, it was like Rome research, Rome research. Everyone's talking about Rome as an alternative to Notion. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the world is like just hearing about Notion, which right. is five years old. Right. So like the whole kind of long tail of, of options to play with is out there. So that's one way. And then the other way is that when I'm really looking for something specific and it can't be serendipitous like that, I will search best fill in the blank or tools for blank, but then I'll more carefully curate which websites and which articles I actually click on. Cause there's a lot of clickbaity yeah, listicle BS out yeah. there. And it's fun to find like, a small tech bloggers blog about tools or somebody who really uses the stuff or occasionally even like a New York times article or something Mm -hmm. reputable, but you want to go to places where like the reputation of the person writing is actually real. And it's not just like a 
cooltools.com <laughs> review. Right. Um, cause you will more, more often than not, that'll be the eighth link down the page, but you will find cool stuff there. And then the other thing that's really boring is, and I just did this for our online course that we're producing. I will unfold 10 or 20 tabs of tools from all those lists and I will click on every single one and I will register for a third of them and then I will pick one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's work to your point, but it is to me, it's work well, well worth it because exactly the point of this episode, the opinions baked in that are hidden, you're not going to see on the front page. Yep. You're not going to understand until you get in there and mess around a little bit. And if you don't know what you're looking for, you just be like, oh, I'm going to do some e-learning. Here's an e-learning site. Let's mm-hmm. do it. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just married somebody and you haven't even met their parents. Like, right. that's that's crazy. <sighs> that Those are those are great, great tips. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have thought of two or three of those. So uh, I think that's really valuable. And it's funny because I think for people who are not as technically oriented, it's just very intimidating to try to figure out how to research and parse. And it's interesting because in so many other domains of our lives, we like do this all the time and are very comfortable. But um, yeah. but in this area, I find that people are a little bit hesitant to be like, what is an alternative to the you know video technology that we're using? And I think it's exacerbated by the way we treat IT at work, right? So like sure. one of the reasons that people don't behave the way I behave is most people are not the founder of a small business, right? Like right. They're, they can't they're make inside. the change if they want to. Yeah. And so I think we get this learned helplessness and this training of like IT will sort that out for us. And of course, the their goals are, are antithetical identical to ours, right? Like mm-hmm. the goal of most our IT organizations is some reliability and some security and some certainty and some privacy and then like all things that are good, right? But in the even overstatements of an innovative place, they might not be on the left and and yet right. they're the ones making the choice, right? So, right? so, and by the way, a lot of them are just as nerdy about tools as we are, but they have an accountability to the organization to do something at scale, to do something that's secure, et cetera. So, um, so I think that's actually what's often going on is that we've just been kind of neutered and now we're now we're stuck. Right. I mean the irony of that that we see all the time is that then a lot of the people inside the organization go rogue, which is actually yep. less secure. So rogue it would IT. be cool if IT was actually um if, if their accountability was around productivity and enablement because those guys have like the hardest job in the building. Like totally. they only get a call when something goes wrong or there's a data breach or there's a security <laughs> issue or whatever. So there's no reason for them to be like, is blue jeans better than zoom? Should we right. be thinking about Slack instead of email? Because it's just like, no nobody cares if they're right. thinking that. So then you just have rogue instances of Slack that don't have all of the enterprise bells and whistles that it would want them to have. And on and on and on. It's like, it's just a misalignment of uh, incentives and of, strategy that creates a lot of, uh, like a lot of unhelpful inconsistency, I think, inside big organizations. Yeah. And this connects to the point about scale and tools that I wanted to hit on, which is there's a little bit of like mammals, dinosaurs stuff going on here, where if you deploy tools to massive numbers of people at a time in an instance, then by definition, because your requirements around security and risk are going to be different and your appetite will be different, um, your pricing needs will be like all that stuff is going to be different. You will be behind. Mm-hmm. Like you, you will essentially always be five years behind the market because those tools that you want to use now have to scale up. They have to build out their you know security protocol. They have to be able to match all those needs. 
and then you can use them. But then, of course, the market has moved on. And so this idea that we talk about in other episodes of more decentralized marketplace style teams in cells or teams in pockets making their own decisions, it has implications Mm -hmm. for tooling, which is like, yeah, if you have one factory with 10,000 people and they all have to use the same tool, then you're going to be three years behind, five years behind. But if you have 20 micro factories and you're like, yeah, each one gets to pick the tool that they use and the blast radius is contained to that relationship, to that software package, to that buyer, um, then you can be in the present, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've de-risked through scale and you sort of have like little firewalls around each group. And then if it ends up that everybody's using the same tool, of course, then you can go and do an enterprise deal. Um, but I just think that we don't, yeah, we don't sandbox and and kind of like decentralize software purchasing enough when we're at scale. And so we end up in the past, which may, may not be the end of the world to, to a massive multi-billion dollar company, but um, it certainly feels like the end of the world when I'm sending someone a scope of work in a Google Doc and they literally cannot open it. Right. Right. Well, and there's a question of like, a lot of those organizations are not going to be in the present, but do they want to be in this like century? The decade, century, yeah. I mean, that sure. to me, if, if they're on there's 2015 technology, that's different yeah. than 1995 technology, which is something we see pretty routinely. So as a pivot, I'm curious how you see tools interacting with the rest of the OS, because we've talked a little bit about structure just now. Are there other spaces where you see tooling playing a role that matters? Yeah, sure. I mean, certainly there's a huge interaction between tooling and meetings. Um, fun. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Zoom, so <fun>. anybody? <laughs> so fun. <laughs> that, I, I mean, I, you know what's funny is that's not even what I was thinking about. I was thinking about huh. the ability to like visualize work and all be working in yeah. a common place while we're in a Look meeting. Look at it together. And yeah. the idea of doing updates in tools, figuring out what is done Uh, collaboratively by voice versus what is done collaboratively in writing. So Mm. I certainly think that to me is behaviorally a pretty big shift for people when they start to uh, center meetings around a shared asset that's in a tool, whether you're talking about some kind of Kanban board or you're talking about retrospective boards, you're talking about a brainstorming with mural or whatever you're talking about. It's a big shift from like, we're looking at each other's faces or Mm -hmm. I'm looking at your PowerPoint deck while you talk to mm-hmm. we all have our hands on the same thing. And yes. really, that's where the action is. Mostly, the action is happening in, in the tool. And we are the um, the unblockers and the voiceover of that. So I, I see a pretty significant um, interaction there. And then, that I mean, that's the first one that pops to mind. What would your number two be? I think probably just information. Yeah. Right. Like you think about the the canvas. I think about the information flows around the system and like, where do I find what I need to know? Where do I find status? Where do I find what are the priorities, the governance record, calling back to our episode a few times ago, like that, all that stuff is hiding somewhere. Right. And, and the, depending on what tools we're using, finding that whether or not that's even in a tool is going to be dictated by that, by the stack that we have. So I think that, um, that comes to mind. But I like the point you made about meetings because I'm finding that there's a huge psychological impact around that opinion, right? So if, if mm. the opinion of software is one person drives, everyone watches, which is which is sort of the like presentation opinion, right? Um, 
then then the impact of that is all right well then watching becomes passive and passive becomes bored or tired and disconnected and disengaged right and you can just see it like you can just literally watch people on a keynote uh webinar just being like uh and then they fall asleep um and it's amazing to me since i've done a lot of collaborative sessions recently with teams that haven't usually had access to tools that are collaborative where i've been like hey everybody jump into my mural board and let's play and we spend three fourths of the meeting in play together. At the end of the meeting, everybody's fired up and they're like, right. oh my God, we did a thing. Like right. we did it. We're very kinesthetic and we're very, um, we need to move. And I think that idea of like, we were doing stuff together and I actually had a role to play, that, that is truly energizing. And so it's funny to see just that one opinion about like, are we all doing it or is one of us doing it is, is fundamental. Totally. And just along the lines of learning by doing, like how many times in your life when there was some sort of process to be mapped or workflow to be created, did someone come with the thing and then they walked you through the thing and then your job was to like pick apart the thing or give them suggestions (laughs) on the thing. And people think that that saves time, but like my general, not in every single situation, but my general opinion is like, actually, let's all get into a tool and make the thing together because yeah. it's just a different level of engagement and it's a different level of right. learning by doing. And, and even if it takes slightly longer, which I would argue it doesn't, but even in the instance it does, what that avoids is afterwards someone being like, well, I guess I missed that step because I was right. spaced out or whatever. Cause it's like when you're in the thing and it's like, okay, you, you and I are going to like get into mural and we're going to map out all of the steps of our hiring process together. That is very different than me being like, here, Aaron, this is a process flow. And you'd be like, no, this looks fine. You know? Yeah. So, so just taken from a learning perspective, again, when we think about the opinions of the tools, it's like, is the opinion of this tool that it should be read only and that it should be used to convey or push something? Or is the opinion of this tool that it should be used to create something and force us all to understand what's inside Mm -hmm. that creation? Mm -hmm. And those are like very distinct dispositions. Yes. I like that a lot. Let's talk a little bit about how to detect the opinions of your software. Yeah. What kind of questions do you ask your tools and what kind of answers do you want from them? I think the first thing I do is just notice like what is, what is not there and Mm. what is there. So for example, right now we're recording this in Zencaster. That's the the primary tool that we use to record this podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that's interesting about Zencaster up until a few weeks ago was there's no video in it. So the the opinion of the tool is you don't need to see each other yeah. to record, right? And and maybe that came from a technological limitation. Like it's opinions can come from weird places, but fundamentally it was like you're going to listen to each other, and that's yeah. what you're going to do. So of course we're also on a Zoom mm-hmm. um, because we wanted to build a new a, a new functionality. Um, now Zencaster has since released some video functionality, which is cool. So their opinions about that are changing. But I just noticed stuff like that, like what's present, what's not present, what can I see, what can I not see, um, and what's prominent, right? So like, what is what is it telling me is important? It's almost like old information design when you're like learning how to be a copywriter or, an, or a designer for a pamphlet. Like, mm-hmm. what's the big font? What's the little font? And how, like, how are you telling the eye what matters and what what they should do. And so if you look at, for example, the toolbar inside a work doc, uh, there are a lot of choices right. um, and none of them are bigger than any others. So it's kind of like, 
we do whatever you want. Guess where that thing that you need is. Um, but it's not really designed to to put something forward. Whereas maybe in a presentation software, the play button might be really big. So I just, yeah, I start by noticing that stuff. And then the other thing I tend to notice is like, what am I craving because of my way of working that's missing? Mm-hmm. Or what am I doing that I feel a little bit stuck on or unmotivated around that I'm that I don't have a better way of working on that the tool could drive. Mm-hmm. And so that's what's fun about playing with new tools that are hard is they challenge you where you're like, oh, so for example, with Notion, which is kind of a, a, a very hybridized, very generic word processing tool where you can build databases and, and pages of information and relate them in myriad ways and structure them in myriad ways. One of the opinions is like, we're not going to tell you what this is for. Right. Right. Like this is a, this is a, this is a blank page. And so yeah. you, we're going to give you a lot of options for what to do with it, but we're not going to tell you what it's for, which in some ways is similar to Word. Um, but as you're grappling with something like that, you're like, Ugh, if I'm building a CRM or I'm building a employee tracking system or something like, should wouldn't it be nice if I just had a tool that was just for that? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's the trade-off. Like what opinion do you prefer? The opinion that this is a very specialized thing and you need to do it our way right. or the opinion that th- do it your way, but you're going to have to do more work. Right. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things I noticed, but I'm curious how you, how you sniff it out. Yeah. Um, s- similarly, I think the biggest thing that I notice is when I leave. Mm. So when I'm in something and then I have to go to something else, I'm like, why is that? You know, like there's, so, <laughs> there, and, and there are a lot of, examples of this that we encounter day to day, but like, um, like when Google made the dropdown in, uh, GCAL to add zoom information, I was like, thank God, like what, where have you, where have you been? You know, because how many times in your life did you like create the calendar invite and then go copy your zoom link and then go put it in the, et cetera. And I think that way often about, uh, Slack, like I wish that we had a really dope Calendly integration. Cause I'm just like, why does this not just become a meeting? Or like, I'll think about that when I'm in Trello, but I'm dropping in links to GDocs or to a chalk page or to somewhere else where I'm like, is this it? And it's not always that there's missing functionality, but I just mm-hmm. try to think like when I'm in or when I'm in Notion and I'm linking to a Trello board, I'm like, is that because I don't like the board function in Notion? Is it because there's a template missing? Is it because someone isn't in here that I need to be in here? Like, I really try to think about um, how much can I do inside of one tool without having to go to a different one or link into a different one? And that to me is usually a pretty good indicator of whether it's working well for like the workflow that I'm using. I love that example of the drop down to Zoom in the GCAL because for those of you that use Google Calendar, it's a it's a single like, you know, little arrow drop down and there's a Zoom right there and you click the button and it creates the link and adds the info to the invite and the whole thing. And integrations are interesting like that because you say it's an opinion that is basically like a lot of meetings have Zoom in them or should have Zoom in them that becomes a feature that becomes a behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is like usually the chain of custody, right? Mm So a lot of meetings are Zoom meetings. They should be Zoom meetings. Let's make that easier. So that's the opinion becomes the feature. And then the feature becomes the habit. And what I've noticed is in myself and in people I work with, every meeting's a Zoom meeting now. Right. And the reason for that is it's one click. It's right. so easy. They took all the friction out of it. And it's so prominent in the interface. Like it's right there. Like, aren't you, are you sure you don't want to add? You may as well. Um, and so like that, 
that becomes a pattern. And then the question is, is it a pattern you like? Right. And so I think that is, it's the same thing with bullet points in a PowerPoint, right? Like the bullet points say, this is what you should do. You right. should organize your, the templates like are a bunch yep. of, yeah, that is what you should do. And so then everybody does it. And then we all sit in meetings where people read bullet points to us. And that's like, is this the world we created? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I feel like that loop, that like little connection is actually at the heart of this whole thing, which is just to look at the behavior in your organization and say, is the stuff we're doing in any way provoked by our tools? Right. 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 And if it is, then like, are there other tools with better opinions that would produce better patterns? Right. Or, or are there patterns that we just want to like overtly buck and like resist the opinions of our tools, even though we're not going to change them? And both of those are interesting to me. Like, I'm, I'm very interested in the insurgency against uh, negative patterns that are ultimately kind of nurtured by tools. Yeah, absolutely. I just think <laughs> we don't um, spend very much time talking about those things because it's like the no. air that we breathe. That's why I want to create my new feature idea. I'm going to share it with the world. It's, oh, this is uh, a really, somebody might silly. steal it. It's very, it's, I hope they do. I hope somebody <laughs> does. I, I'm threatening to make this right now. I'm not actually making it. Uh, it's a drop down right where the Zoom drop down is that just says walk and talk. Call me. I, you're so into walk and talk right now. And it doesn't do anything, but it just is. That's it. That's yeah, the whole feature. It's mm-hmm. just it's just an opinion baked into the tool as a feature that actually has no integration at all. And when you click it, the other person gets the invite and it says, this is a, this is a walk and talk. And that's it. <laughs> that's the feature. I think that would change the world. I love if everybody it. had that. I love it. Now, more than ever, we need to go be outside and talking out. Go outside doors. at yes. least once a day. Go outside. Well, that seems like a very clean and nice place to draw things to a close. So let's shut it down. Shut it down. If you love what you're hearing, a review would be great. We would really appreciate it um, wherever you get your podcasts or uh, forward us to somebody who wants to go and rec shop in their own company. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, Quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. 